and good morning. It's Tuesday, the 30th of October, 2018. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the only weekly podcast dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, episode 62, we talk some more about the ridiculous trolley paradox. Tesla rolls out Navigate on Autopilot, or is it Autopilot on Navigate? Tesla rolls out a better version of Autopilot. And we discuss which countries are most prepared for autonomous cars. All this right now. But first, I'm thrilled to announce that I've been invited by the good folks at Carvey, a San Francisco-based automotive tech startup, to join them as a speaker at their monthly happy hour called Talk Autonomous Cars While Drinking. Joining me on stage will be Philip Candle. He's the SVP of engineering at Telenav. They pioneered mobile phone GPS in 1999. Today, they serve the automotive industry, building the connected cars of tomorrow. So the event's going to be really great. It's going to be lots of fun. Uh, It's basically from 6.30 to 9 p.m., lots of good pizza and beverages to snack on. Uh, It's going to essentially be an open-ended Q&A session. So a little bit of an introduction from Philip and from me, uh, followed by really 30 to 40 minutes of Q&A from all of you. Registration is totally free. You can head on over to eventbrite.com. Just do a search for Talk Autonomous Cars While Drinking. Again, that's this Thursday, the 1st of November from 6.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. I really hope you'll show up. And if you do, please don't be shy. Swing on by and introduce yourselves. It'd be great to meet you. Anyway, thanks so much. Hope to see you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, before diving into today's regularly scheduled programming, as always, it is Tuesday, which means it's time to review Friday's poll day results. So if you remember, the question was, uh, you know, in light of all the numerous trolley paradox surveys that have been going about late, including and especially one particularly robust study uh, whose results were just published um, about the trolley paradox, I thought I'd run my own highly scientific poll on the topic as well. So the question was simply, An autonomous car must hit one of the following. Which should it be? Is it A, an elderly person, B, a child, C, a non-convicted criminal, or D, nobody? Kill the passengers instead. Now, ordinarily, obviously, I don't really discuss the results of these polls because, well, obviously, I need you to go ahead and check it out yourself on Twitter at Autonomous Hogue, whereupon you will also, of course, be deeply moved to follow Autonomous Hogue. Um, But this time I am going to discuss it because it actually segues perfectly into our first segment for today, which is, of course, once again, a discussion on this so-called trolley paradox. So very quickly then, the results of the poll are as follows. So... I have to say I was fairly surprised, at least based on what I've read elsewhere... Only 9% suggested hitting an elderly person, 0% rather unsurprisingly suggested hitting a child. A whopping 27% suggested hitting a non-convicted criminal. Non-convicted, mind you. But 64% voted for kill nobody, kill the passengers of the car instead. And this really surprises me. 
uh, because this is not usually what I've read elsewhere. It seems that most folks have said, no, you should never kill the passengers or alternatively most consumers when surveyed say that, the, that they would never buy an autonomous car if they knew or thought that it might choose to kill them instead of, say, a pedestrian. So uh, I've always voted for option D, kill nobody, kill the passengers and self. Of course, my argument has always been the reasonable, prudent person standard uh, where you do what you would do ordinarily, that you, uh, that you, you know, no matter what happens, you don't hit a pedestrian or, or a bicyclist. Um, so, so anyway, I find those results pretty interesting. But let's kind of dive into this whole discussion now and really understand why none of this really actually matters, or at least why it shouldn't. So... To kick things off then, here we go. Um, look, it isn't just me, after all, who's suggesting that this trolley paradox, this, this, this ridiculous academic problem, uh, may in fact be, you know, totally misplaced in the real world. Yes, it's brilliantly fascinating stuff in the confines of a classroom, in a research lab, but, you know, isn't it perhaps a bit distracting from solving what's really the bigger human driver problem. And indeed, that is more or less the paraphrased title of a fantastic article over at Forbes by Chunka Mui. Uh, he's a contributor for Forbes magazine. And uh, yeah, the title is specifically, it is three ways the trolley problem distracts from solving the bigger human driver problem. So uh, in this article, there's kind of uh, three main points. Let me first enumerate each of these. So the first point, uh, the first point Chunka writes that focusing on solving the trolley problem distracts from addressing a much bigger problem, the accident rate of human drivers. The second point he mentions is that it distracts from the more pressing engineering challenge of making self-driving cars work under realistic driving scenarios. And third and finally, he mentions that the trolley problem could really end up hindering acceptance and adoption, especially in policy circles where red herrings too often gain traction and are used to slow progress. So, I'm going to run through these relatively quickly because obviously a lot of this we've discussed in the past, but I have to say the timing of this article is pretty spot on. It's quite a coincidence to see this uh, was written just after I published uh, last week's episode 61. Um, so, so let's kind of address some of the points here, right? I mean, going to the first point, you know, doesn't this really distract from the bigger issue namely the accident rate of human drivers. Obviously, we've talked a lot about, you know, 3,000 people dying per month here in the U.S. alone. Um, what is that, 40,000-ish per year, about a million people per year worldwide diving due to vehicle accidents. And so so, so the, the point is, you know, you know, might it be the case, might it be the case that, uh, you know, self-driving cars may bring the trolley problem into the real world, as paraphrased by NPR's Science Friday, you know, doesn't this sort of just kind of eclipse the far greater problem? The point being, even to the extent that this fringe case, this sort of corner case uh, scenario of a no-win situation happens to enter into the real world now and then, I mean, so what, right? I mean, in the context of sort of everything else that's going on, all these other human-driven errors, bearing in mind, by the way, just as a reminder, that of these 3,000-ish human errors or human accidents uh, in the U.S. every month, something like 98% are caused by human error. I mean, these aren't just technical issues going, you know, things going wrong. So anyway, uh, the second point then, of course, you know, it's all good and well to discuss these admittedly interesting academic corner cases. But 
to the point here, you know, doesn't this really distract from the more pressing engineering challenges of making self-driving cars work under realistic driving scenarios? I mean, sure, it's great if we can actually come up with a solution in which somehow this trolley paradox is actually practically solved in the real world. But in the real world, this sort of thing doesn't actually happen. You know, quoting uh, the roboticist Rodney Brooks, he's the former director of the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab, you know, he called the trolley problem a quote-unquote made-up question that'll have no practical impact on any automobile or person for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, th- this is a really, really kind of great way of summarizing what I've been saying for quite some time now. Put another way, CEO of Aurora Innovations, the former head of Google's self-driving car project, now known as Waymo, uh, Chris Ermson, has said, if you've got there, you know, if you end up with the trolley paradox in real life, you've already screwed up. Uh, You know, the point is, if you're paying attention, as Chris says, these trolley paradox scenarios, they don't just surprise and pop out at you. I mean, you think about it, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I've never been in a scenario anywhere in the world where I had to make some split-second decision, which, by the way, as an important parenthetical, remember, these aren't sort of super high cognitive-level thoughts, sort of like where you think consciously, oh, should I hit grandma and grandpa, or should I hit little kid, or should I go flying off a cliff to save myself? These are really deep-rooted, instinctive panic reactions. But even so, I've never in my life ever experienced this sort of a dilemma where, ah, geez, I'm in a complete no-win scenario, somebody here is going to die. It's never happened in my life. And I'm not one who tends to... Let me put it this way. I drive around a lot, especially when I was living in Southern California. I would average something around 25,000 miles per year easily. Even up here in Northern California, I tend to be up around 10 to 15,000 a year. I mean, my point is, I do tend to drive a lot. And all over the state, and indeed elsewhere around the world besides. So... I mean, I've never experienced anything even remotely close to this. So, so I think that's a really good point that these just, these sorts of scenarios just don't occur in real life. And I think this really kind of segues neatly to the third and final point here that the biggest problem with the trolley paradox is not simply that we're wasting time and resources, potentially anyway, on something which really, um, will have no real bearing in the real world. The biggest problem is precisely this, this right now that we're talking so much about it because I can assure you that if we're talking this much about this, then for sure it's going to end up, uh, as, as stated in the article in policy circles where red herrings too often gain traction and are used to slow progress. See, this is the sort of thing that happens all the time is that somebody picks some ridiculous little sort of nugget, which has essentially no sort of likelihood of occurring in the real world. And they turn this little nugget into some gigantic issue. And this is a really, really scary, slippery slope to slide down because if indeed we take these little nuggets of the trolley paradox that really have no place whatsoever outside of a classroom, and if we turn them into legitimate huge issues that need to be, first of all, addressed and crucially, therefore, solved in the real world, you know, and... Unless and until these things are solved, we're going to say, hey, we, you know, we're not okay with rolling out autonomous cars for the masses. If this occurs, it, it's, not, it's not solving anything. It's not improving anything. And frankly, it's having the exact opposite effect because it's just going to delay 
what needs to occur sooner rather than later, namely the gradual phase-out of human-driven vehicles on public roads. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm not going to go into a further discussion uh, about this recent really deep study, uh, the MIT Moral Machine study. is It's kind of what prompted this resurgence in this discussion this, this past week now. Um, you know, this question we discussed in the previous episode, you know, held around the world, uh, the, the survey that was surveying people around the world, you know, who should die, grandma, grandpa, little kids, uh, criminals, fat people, skinny people, executives, homeless people, and so on. The results are really startling-ish, I suppose. And that's my point. They're startling because it depends on your particular background, the culture in which you grew up. Um, you know, what's startling to some people may be absolutely normal to somebody else from a different part of the world. Um, and, and so although this is genuinely fascinating stuff, I, I sort of feel it's got far more place belonging in a, I don't know, a psychology textbook rather than some sort of treatise on whether and how we should roll out autonomous cars for the public. Because in the big picture of things, again, everything should pale in comparison to the very real hard and fast numbers that we have now with respect to the just catastrophic dangers of human-driven cars. As I probably said during one of my first episodes of this podcast way back in February or March, you know, kids from the close of this century, say the 2070s, 2080s, they're going to look back on this 20th and early 21st century in sort of kind of just awe and shock, probably a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy, kind of like, wow, you guys were actually able to, you were allowed to drive cars back then? Sort of kind of this dual feeling of both, as I say, envy, but also just complete and utter disbelief. You know, I'm sure in some ways they wish they could have been around here now as well. As, and that kind of makes sense. I get that. Again, I love driving cars, frankly. I've, I've said this many times. But, but the idea that it actually was allowed to continue for so long that it even occurred at all at some brief moment in human history, that's just going to be a thing that'll forever, well, yeah, be this moment in human history that will forever be sort of looked at and kind of just, I guess, on the one hand admired and on the other hand, just completely ridiculed, sort of like, wow, how did we ever even allow this? Now, of course, that's silly, right? It's sort of like saying, how do we ever allow, I don't know, horseback riding or leeches for sucking infectious agents out of the body. I mean, it's not about allowing. It's just about the normal course of technology. And I get that. And that's totally fine. It's just that to pretend for a moment that we need to kind of linger on this for so long, you know, that we need to sort of bring these purely academic, no-win scenario fringe cases into the real world, that's just stupid. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say about that. Hey, just a friendly reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to leave a review over at Apple's iTunes podcast. Also, remember, at the website markhogue.com, you can read episode notes and summaries, and of course, you can comment away uh, with your fellow listeners. Finally, a huge thank you again to all of you who are contributing to this show with your monthly donations. It is very much appreciated. For those of you who would like to contribute as well, just head on over to markhogue.com or to anchor.fm, the platform where I host and record this podcast. You'll see the easy instructions there. You can opt in or opt out at any time. Thank you all so much indeed. Let's carry on. So I feel like I've gone a few episodes without discussing Tesla. 
And that's partly by design. I kind of don't always want to dwell on them. But to be fair, uh, they haven't really had anything particularly huge to announce apart from, oh, you know, they're finally profitable, which is a huge deal, obviously. And the fact that they've just rolled out version 9.0 of Autopilot and crucially, it's really headline feature, uh, the name of which I always get wrong, uh, apparently just to get it straight for the record, Autopilot on Navigate. Nope, that actually wasn't right either. Uh, sorry, navigate on autopilot. There we go. Um, anyway, so for those of you not totally familiar, this is really just one, well, actually it's a pretty big step forward towards really fully self-driving Teslas here. Yeah, I know a lot of you listening are going to just start getting really upset with me right now saying, no, Mark, this is still nowhere near full level four, let alone level five autonomy. This is still just really glorified uh, lane keep assist and radar cruise control and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. I, I agree with you. It is. That is all it is uh, so far. But um, it is, frankly, better than anything else out there. I think I read somewhere else, though, that it's not really that novel that, frankly, other automakers could probably do just the same thing if they wanted to. But they're just choosing not to because they tend to believe that the technology just isn't really there yet. It's not ready. I um, I kind of don't really agree. Uh, I mean, Tesla has really gone a big way towards, I think, really stepping leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. I mean, not least of which is the crowdsourced data. It's pulling from all of its cars traveling information, right? So this is a really big deal. So I actually think they're far, far more ahead uh, in this race towards full autonomy than anybody else. So I kind of disagree with that claim. But uh, putting that aside for a moment, what I really want to discuss here, because we can debate all day whether Tesla is legitimately ahead. um, I'm not going to name names, but I saw a tweet from somebody somewhere that some big-ish company involved with automotive car tech who made a rather tongue-in-cheek and admittedly somewhat funny claim that claiming a car to be sort of autonomous is like claiming a bridge to be sort of built. That a bridge is either built or not built. You can't sort of... (laughs) A bridge which is only partially complete has no utility whatsoever. And I kind of took issue with that tweet, and I said so. So if you're really curious who it was, you can find this. Um... I, you know, I actually really disagree because indeed it's true. A bridge really is a binary thing. It either is or isn't complete. It's true. There is no kind of intermediary stage at which it has any utility whatsoever. Either it, ha- either it's complete, in which case it has 100% utility, or it's not 100% complete, meaning anywhere from 0 to 99%, in which case it has 0% utility. You can't cross... An unfinished bridge. A bridge, by definition, is to bridge you from point A to point B over some gap, some non-traversable part of the earth, right? But autonomous car technology, by definition, isn't binary. Um, It's pentary, pentiary, uh, if we can make up a term here, right? It's got the five levels of automation, or I guess six if you include level zero, no automation whatsoever. But just considering levels one, two, three, four, and five, that's five different levels of auto- of automation, or I should say of semi-automation, uh, as it were. Um, and so by definition, then, it really is not a binary thing. It is indeed a spectrum. And so 
to kind of loop this back to this discussion on Tesla's navigate on autopilot with uh, version 9.0 of the autopilot software. Um, yeah. Okay. It's true. It's not fully automated. It's it's not a fully autonomous level four, level five system. I get that. But then this isn't intended to be a bridge from A to B. It's not an all or nothing thing. I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't reach full autonomy without the interim stages. Um, you, you know, I read a thing once about, evolution on earth something about you know why is it that we never saw you know how why is it we never saw kind of intermediary forms of the wheel in nature right why is it that we went from kind of no wheel to here's the wheel um and the argument was that the utility of a wheel is very binary right either you've either you've got a wheel a thing which can roll or you don't have a wheel. There isn't sort of like an interim wheel. You can't have like half a wheel. That won't, that's not going to do anything for you. Um, so, so in the same sort of way then, uh, you know, you, you've got this, this notion of, you know, a wheel is like a bridge and that's just sort of useless. But, but if you look at most other things, uh, they all sort of evolve gradually. Uh, and it's the same thing with autonomous car technology, right? It's, it's got to evolve gradually. It's not an all or nothing thing. And yeah, of course, this, this interim stage of development, of course, it's going to be fraught with difficulties and indeed occasional tragedies. But these are necessary steps to take towards a world of full autonomy. So yeah, I think let's not critique Tesla for what it's doing as quickly as it is. Let's rather praise it. Um, and indeed every other company that's working so hard to get these things out the door. Um, but, but look, I realize this is a pretty contentious issue. So by all means, shoot me a note, write me some feedback. Don't forget you can leave voicemail messages to me on the anchor.fm platform. If you listen to the podcast there and uh, let's have a discussion about it because, you know, actually let me just throw out the question to you. Do you agree that the analogy that, Autonomous car technology is, you know, more like bridges. It's a binary thing. Or do you agree that, in fact, autonomous cars and their underlying technology are really more, uh, you know, they lie more along a spectrum? So let me know what you think. We'll talk about it later. All right, to close out today's episode, just a quick mention. Uh, there's been a story published uh, also on Forbes uh, by Neil McCarthy, uh, the country's best prepared for autonomous vehicles. There's a nice little infographic because, of course, everybody loves infographics. It's based on a KPMG study earlier this year uh, that that really aimed to rank countries around the world based on their overall preparedness for autonomous vehicles on a scale of 0 to 30, 30, of course, being the most prepared, 0 being the least prepared. These scores then were based on kind of weighting four different pillars of sort of, you know, the road to full autonomy, looking at things like a country's policy and legislation, technology and innovation, infrastructure, and consumer acceptance. Um, so it's an interesting ranking of countries then, uh, because you end up at the number one spot with the Netherlands, followed by Singapore, and then not too far behind, really, you've got the United States with 24.75 points. Uh, the Netherlands, by the way, was up at 27.73. So nobody here took a full 30 points. Um, following the U.S., you've got Sweden, the U.K., uh, Germany, Canada, the UAE, 
New Zealand, and South Korea. What's interesting about this list, as you've probably already noticed, is that almost all these countries, well, that's not true. Certainly the top several countries tend to be rather smallish, right? You've got the Netherlands, you've got Singapore, you've got Sweden, um, and you've got the U.S. in the number three spot. So by far and away, the U.S. seems to be the largest and the most prepared for autonomous vehicles in the world. Um, it's interesting, I think. Um, I am somewhat surprised not to see China on this list. I mean, certainly insofar as technology and innovation, they should, they should have scored very high. I would imagine that with respect to policy and legislation, they're also scoring high because we know that China is pushing so fast, so hard for both electric and autonomous vehicles. I suspect, therefore, they fell short insofar as actual infrastructure and perhaps consumer acceptance. I guess that's that's possible. But as far as the Asian countries go, it looks like it's really just South Korea uh, that made this list of the top 10. So in any event, uh, go on, head on over to, to Forbes. The title again is The Country's Best Prepared for Autonomous Vehicles. It's by Neil McCarthy. I'll link to this over on, uh, on my website, markhoag.com. Give it a look. I think it's quite interesting.